0: Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for February 28th of 2023, where two laypersons, a pastor, and an academician gather for about 45 minutes each Tuesday to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. This Sunday is March 5th. We're committed to be faithful to Year A in the Lectionary calendar, and each Tuesday we call in from wherever we may be at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time, and for our friend Charles Willard in Minnesota at 5.30 a.m. Here's how it works. We prepare for the discussion independently after receiving some formative questions from the week's leader. And in these conversations, we share, question, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion.
1: Bill Hall, St.
2: Petersburg, Florida.
1: Charles Charleston, Minnesota. Winter weather.
2: Sarah Mickelson in Tampa.
0: I'm Don Upton in Charlotte, North Carolina. And Sarah Mickelson is our leader this week, and uh, she's going to read the scripture and lead us through a series of questions today. I want to remind everybody, we develop these questions because we hear from you that you're interested in ways to prompt discussion. Some of you are moderating classes, facilitating discussions, and so we prepare these for you uh, as some ideas on how to, uh, oh, by the way, this is about a very important discussion as well. So hello, Sarah. How are you, my friend?
2: I'm good, and I realize I don't have the scripture in front of me, so bear with me while I click a couple of times and find my way back to that. Um, I want to uh, lift up for you that we are looking at John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17 this week. And in looking at this, we are in the story about Nicodemus, who I adore. So I'm just going to go, I love this story, and I'm glad that we revisit it frequently. Um, Your exploration of Nicodemus. I want to suggest that a Google search for artwork around Nicodemus will uncover for you a great treasure. If you want to use art or if your class might be amenable or, or, or welcoming to artwork as a conversation starter, they are certainly quite a number of good pieces of artwork, thank you, Charles, um, that you could uh, start the conversation with. And today I sent to my friends um, a picture painted by Henry Asawa Tanner. Um, he lived between 1859 and 1937, quite tumultuous years in the United States. Um, he painted um, a beautiful picture of Nicodemus visiting Jesus, and they happen to be sitting on the rooftop of a home in, in, in Jerusalem, I think, and um, they look like wandering Arameans, which is kind of nice um, to have some people that actually look like people from that part of the world in a picture, um, but uh, Henry's story is quite rich with information um, about seeking light and I want you to, um, one of the pieces about this artwork that I like so much is the light is shining on Jesus, and Nicodemus is sitting, listening in the dark. So there's some of that at play as well. Um, The passage for this week starts out in chapter 3, verse 1, and here we go. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. Answered him very truly. I tell you, no one can enter. Can a woman? Can a person enter a second time into the mother's womb to be born? And Jesus answered very truly. I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the water and spirit. Do not be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, You are a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one can ascend into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. What a great scripture. Um, So my questions this week had to do about this, this verbal dance that's occurring in this language. So for me, it seems like there's a waltz occurring. This one, two, three, one, two, three movement, this shifting, this this energy that seems to be projected in this language. How does this passage use physical location, time, situation, and one-on-one conversation to amplify the shifting of perspectives for you? And what shifts or shift captures your imagination the most? So um Charles, do you want to jump in?
0: I I read this and I thought, you know, I
1: I I don't get it. I'm sorry. I okay. mean I, I it just it just didn't
0: maybe I was never a good dancer, so the waltz part <laughs> didn't click. I'm b i apologize. That's
2: all right. Um I saw Nicodemus moving from the dark to the light. I saw Nicodemus moving from knowing the facts to understanding the truth. And this may only be the beginning of that journey because we, we, we meet in the book of John, we meet Nicodemus. There's several conversations, sometimes three times, sometimes more um, but Nicodemus argues in the Sanhedrin that a person ought not to be convicted of anything without having the opportunity to speak on his own behalf. And um, in the conversation about judging Jesus, and Nicodemus also argues with Joseph with argues in, in addition to Joseph of Arimathea to receive the body of Christ and lay him to rest. So Nicodemus comes back to us in many ways. Um, I see Nicodemus moving from the law to love. I see Nicodemus moving from knowing to being known.
1: What do you think, Bill? Um, first of all, a comment about our process, building on what you said about art. Uh, Don, in his introductory comments, notes that various people listen and watch this some preparing for a class, some on their own journey. Um, And uh, having been on this team now for a variety of years, um, I am grateful personally that we take different approaches. I mentioned to Sarah before the recording started that I look back three years ago and she led the same discussion, (laughs) but with different questions. Actually, more than the three uh, this time. That itself is an important part of the process, that it's the old, old analogy of a diamond. Every time you turn it, you see a different facet. Uh, If somebody has a better, more modern analogy, let me know. But I grew up with that one, which uh, has meaning. So uh, there's no one way to come at this. The second thing, Sarah, when I first got your questions, I reached for my keyboard to send you an email saying, what? (laughs) Help me understand? I didn't because I thought, she has thought about this question and let me live with it. And like Charles, I'm I'm not a dancer. I, I, I enjoy watching it, but going with your waltz, dance analogy Uh, nowadays apparently not touching each other is a norm you watch these videos of the people all gyrating separately when I grew up you held each other and yet one led and the other followed and so forth so there's a an ebb and a flow and here are two people at night both uh, privileged in the sense that Jesus was a rabbi, uh, Nicodemus, I assume, was a rabbi. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. Uh, and yet they come together, and I think both are sincere. I, I don't sense insincerity on Nicodemus's part. But the overriding thing to me, Sarah, is a sense of mystery. Confusion and questioning That's not resolved By the end of this dialogue as, as I hear it You've noted The two other references To Nicodemus Okay Interestingly The way I read that narrative By the end of This gospel We still do not know Where Nicodemus was He doesn't declare That he was a follower of Christ That itself is You know so This is probably pushing the analogy Too far when you end the dance It's not over You can dance again And you may walk away from that dance Exhilarated Or wondering You know did my partner Enjoy that Where do we go from here The other comment is That whenever jesus says you in this it's plural in greek it doesn't mean you individually nicodemus you uh, plural and the other uh, fascinating imagery is wind and spirit uh in the original greek it can mean legitimately wind or spirit and you can't control the spirit um i I think, in a sense, again, I'm not a dancer, whether it's a waltz or whatever. there's certain protocols, but when I've watched films of people waltzing different couples do it differently, so there there are different dances even within certain protocols um, and finally the the comment. That Nicodemus came by night. Why? We don't know. It adds to the mystery of that. And uh, somehow, I'll, I'll end with "Dancing in the Dark" is an interesting imagery to me. Great song, <laughs> thank you,
2: <Sarah. laughs> Don, what do you think?
0: I I like what Charles said. He said I'm I'm not. I'm ne- it was never a good dancer, so I'll offer that quote to, to elaborate on the gospel. And Bill's saying he doesn't, he's not a good dancer, and I'd like to be a good dancer. I'm not very good. So I wanted just to just build on that. But I think uh, Nicodemus probably is a pretty good dancer. I think he's prepared. And when we talk about <laughs> dancing, uh, I think uh, – <laughs> hang with me, Charles. Hang with me. Dance with me, Charles. Come on. I'll, I'll leave for a minute. Come on. Let's see. Uh, because it's filled with underlying rules and meters, cooperations, commitments, and discoveries. I mean, what is dance? I mean, I'm a bad dancer because I can't get beyond just the meter and what I'm supposed to do. And I, I do that very well, but it's not really dancing. I, mean, I can. I can chitterbug, again, I can waltz, but it's stilted. It doesn't work very well. And so there's no discoveries. I mean, is dancing following the rules? I'm trying to get the Nicodemus. Is it following the rules and knowing the patterns and knowing where you go on the dance floor? Or is it about discovery within those rules? And I think that's why I love your question. Now, I'm sure there are people listening going, well, waltz wasn't invented until. 1,500 years later, it's like, well, I don't think that's the point. <laughs> I, think, I think it's that there's these underlying discoveries. So I can dance, but if I talk to a real dancer, they'd say, no, Don, you can't dance at all. There's no discovery in what you're doing when you dance with your partner at all. And I think, I think Nicodemus has is, is, is got the rule book, and I think that part of that is the scriptures, but he doesn't know how to work within the rule book. And so, Sarah, you asked about, you know, how does the shifting perspective amplify? I think your core question is how do the shifting perspectives in this amplify what's going on? And the dance helps with that because the dance is not a rule book where you do it all the same. That's not the point. It's it's that it's beautiful and that it's filled with discovery and that each human being is different in the dance. Have you watched people in the dance floor? They're doing the same. We're all going to see tango done by 15 couples. Why do they all look different? It's still the tango. Why do they look different? Because they're individual human beings. So we have the you, Bill's talking about, the collective you, but everything depends on the individual who knows the rules, who understands the scriptures, asking the question. And so the turning points are especially interesting, right? Time for the shift. The meter changes. And so he's caught off guard because he has to work really hard I always have to work hard when I'm dancing because I just go ahead, one, two, three, one, ten, where do I put my hand? What am I doing? And he's getting the change-ups here, but he's also ready to catch it. So I think what it does for me is to get to the real – as a core question, which is this one-to-one discussion, then time and place, is there is a timelessness to us, which I think the second question you have will go there. But it's also – At night, at least what I've been taught, is that's when you go to talk to your teacher. It's perfectly proper. He's not hiding or anything. Now, there's different interpretations, but this is when you go to dance. This is when you go to learn. This is where you go to ask questions. This is the time of day where you get the one-to-one. And so I would challenge any listener out there to think about the difference between being in a meeting with three people or four people or five people in the one-to-one. I don't know about you but my memories of one-to-one are radically different because I have to bring a third person into the room. It's my heart. I can be a spectator when you have more than two. And I register, my memory registers it differently. You have more than two, you can be a spectator. And I believe that the moves and change-ups in that dance are registered in, in the mod, human mind differently. And I talk about this even what I do for a living. And, but I think of the one-to-one, it's different. It's a matter of the heart. And you cannot escape turns, and I why well, I love your question, Sarah. You cannot es- escape the change ups. You can't you can't change you can't escape the shifts. And Nicodemus is prepared. I thankfully is because I am watching the dance today, two thousand years later. So uh every step in the discussion is a turning point. Every step matters in this discussion. those, those are my thoughts, Sarah. I'm gonna
2: quote Men Without Hats, it's safe to dance. Okay. For those people who are
0: born in our generation. (laughs) The first time, Men Without Hats, I believe this is a moment in lectionary that Men Without Hats has now been brought into the lectionary discussion. This is a moment that I'm excited.
2: The Men Without Hats wrote a song called The Safety Dance, and (laughs) the lyrics tell the listener that it's safe to dance. Um, question number two. Following on the Transfiguration account that we read last week, um, how do you see this interaction between the law, the prophets, and salvation interacting in this passage? Now, I have to bump off the call for a minute, but I'm going to let you guys have a conversation. Um, Charles, you want to kick this one off too? No, I don't. <laughs> okay. What about you? I'll hand it off to you.
0: Thank you. I thank you very much. And, uh, and, and I'll say for the listeners or for folks that are viewing this, is Sarah is taking care of a wonderful friend, a dog, that sits at her feet, I think, every week. And we we get to hear that dog every now and then. It's a special, a special part of the discussion to have him there. Uh, so uh, Transfiguration, by the way, Bill, you're talking about in the cycles we've been so many years, Sarah tends to land on the third chapter of John, and I tend to land on Transfiguration, and in our pre recording conversation, I was saying, Well, you know, I think that's the Lord telling me, you got it wrong again, try again <laughs> and uh and Sarah jumped in and says, no, the Lord is saying, Go deeper, go deeper, go deeper." Try, try, try another uh, better way. Uh, so, I, I think the dialogue takes place at a particular time in this passage, on a particular night, with a particular person, with particular baggage, with particular training, particular readiness to engage in this dialogue and this dance that Sarah is talking about, and uh, and that that is reached today. That that. We, it is not possible to understand and see the timelessness of the Christ without a man sitting down on a night, on a particular time, in the span of his life and having this conversation. So I, I, I think that it's a real challenging question to look at this through transformation as a transfiguration. But there were witnesses on that side of that hill, on that mountain, for transfiguration. They needed to see what was going on. And so the comparison I would make is that was, that was personal as well. And, uh, but what we need most is, is Nicodemus, who is, in John Debevoise's words, from the sermon in 2011, March 2011, it's really going back now, he says Nicodemus is the patron saint-seekers. John David Voice is the pastor of Promacy uh, Presbyterian Church that makes this podcast possible. Patron saint of seekers. So I'll just keep this brief and just say off, offer through time. So much depends on the timelessness of the Christ. And the beginning was the Word. This is the book of John, which begins with in the beginning was the Word. It begins with the timeless. And then as we go through John, it, you know, it's all encountered through the individual, all encountered through the witnesses to the mission of Christ, and, and I think this is like the pinnacle of that of that witness where it's just it's just it's a dialogue, and the timelessness comes in.
1: Bill, what do you think? Um, I like that patron saint of seekers, uh, and I will build on that. Um, in a sense, this Nicodemus story I've already. Uh, and, and Sarah and I both alluded to the two other references to Nicodemus that his journey continued. I think a part of being a seeker is you never fully find. Um, you find enough to go forward. But uh, again, I think that's what we seek to be about seek, <laughs> is to keep seeking, uh, looking at these passages over and over again. Now, specifically to your question, about law, prophets, and salvation, how do they interact. For me, uh, Nicodemus came, I think, sincerely seeking. Um, And Jesus kept challenging him to a deeper and deeper understanding. And I don't have to hear Jesus chiding Nicodemus. One could infer that you know you're learning the law and you don't understand it. I think I hear it as you you've had all that learning. Good. There's still more for you. Um, Lou Alcinder was a is a now retired famous basketball player who later changed his name to Kareem uh, Jewel Jabbar, and he's written books. And in one of them. He talks about his high school, college, and professional coaches. Uh, John Wooden was one of his main professional coaches. And at each stage, he grew to a great height way ahead of time. Um, And yet each coach kept saying, you can, there's more. You you can continue to improve. Um, And I think that's what is said here. I think that the interconnection is Jesus says, as we know, I didn't come to do away with the law, I came to fulfill it, to get at the spirit of the law. And to me, uh, we can be assured of our salvation, and yet we still are on a journey. Now, one quick note, Uh, it's become a little hobby of mine since recently, there's an updated version of the New Revised Standard Version. It's called New Revised Standard Version Updated Edition. It is now in the classroom, adult classroom at Palmosia. And I, so far, I have seldom found a significant difference. And I don't know that this is. The only difference in this passage is in verse 2, where... Nicodemus says for no one can do these signs that you do new revised standard version apart from the presence of God the updated version is unless God is with that person now I I don't think there's a significant difference there but that to me Sarah is the heart of this that God is with us the spirit is with us and we can trust that and I've heard from people who are good dancers that after a while, technique gives way to an embracing of the experience. And you're not so much focused on technique as the joy and the give and take of the dance. And so I like your dance analogy more and more, though. You've got apparently three guys on here who claim, I think, accurately not to be good dancers. (laughs) Thank you, Sarah.
2: Well, I wouldn't say
0: claim. I would say acknowledge.
2: There's nothing wrong with having a working knowledge of where your boundaries are. But I will say, and, and maybe you've experienced this lift off in different ways. At some point, you know what you know so well that it's okay to let go of it. And in theater, one of the things that happens, and Don probably can tell you about this as well, and you probably can tell me about this too, Bill. You know your context and your text so well that you let go of the book and you step into the moment and you interact with the people that you're working in the show with or the play with, and it becomes much more interesting. It actually invites a a sense of um, playfulness into the, the script itself so that you've let go of the book, and now you're in the story, and you're no longer worried about what your next word is going to be. You're now thinking about what's my next behavior, what's my next um, interaction need to be, so that the audience walks with me in the script. And it's, it's called moving from being on book to being off book, and that happens two-thirds of the way through the rehearsal process, sometimes halfway through, in an effort to get the actor, to that moment of of, um, where the magic really occurs. Uh, It's not until that moment that the magic really occurs in the rehearsal process and you get a glimpse of what the audience may finally experience on on opening night um, or on film. I'm sure it's the same on film. That being said, I think that's where I'm talking about learning to dance with the language or learning to dance with... The Scripture is when you know it so well that you are looking for additional freedom in it. and, and Jesus invites Nicodemus to that place. Um, in, in thinking about the interaction between the law, the prophets and salvation, Nicodemus knows the law, but I don't get the sense that he knows why the law was given. Nicodemus knows about human consensus and persuasion because he sees that in action every day in the Sanhedrin, but he doesn't know about faith. And maybe Nicodemus has come seeking to understand more. Um, you probably have experienced this. I have, um, in my walk with my faith walk, I would say, Every time I turn over a rock, I discover something new I hadn't imagined before. And it makes me want to turn over more rocks, so to speak. And I'm using that analogy because quite often when I'm wandering in the woods, and, and I, my mind goes back to a time when I was wandering in the woods in Montreat, North Carolina, and every rock I turned over seemed to have mica in it. And mica is this wonderful chemical rock. Type that once you look at it, it sparkles like it's, it's been dipped in gold dust. It's amazing. But for a kid from South Mississippi, I'd never seen Micah before, and it was magical. And it made me want to turn over more rocks. So that's, I think, what's happened to Nicodemus here, is Jesus has, has pricked his curiosity and has invited him into a bigger world of discovery. Um, and that's how I see the interaction between the law and the prophets and salvation here. Is that It's an invitation to, to go deeper, to understand more, to ask more questions, and, and to learn more and comprehend more. Maybe that maybe be the better thing. Um, my third question, what value and meaning does, just as most lift up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up? What does that hold for you this, this, this time we've read, we're reading this? Um, Bill, let's go to
1: you first this time. <clears throat> um, I found a quote from Mark Davis helpful, and I will read a couple of sentences. God loved the world this way, that God sent God's only son whose suffering death shows us who we are, so that by facing up to who we are, we might be transformed to a different way of being. We face up to turn around. Therein lies the gift of eternal life. Um, I think, you know, the original Old Testament story is of lifting up the serpent and the people weren't harmed by the snake. They were saved from the snake bite effect. Uh, Christ was lifted up, obviously, a, a reference to being lifted up on the cross. But I, I really was captured by Mark Davis's focus, and there's more to it. Than, but it's for us to look at who we are. That's why I'm grateful there's a prayer of confession in each worship service. We're looking up or looking into who we are. Um And in that, there's the possibility for transformative work to occur. Um, And that's the purpose of the law. The, The purpose of the law was to say people are important, and how we relate to each other is important. For example, Jesus, at one level, violated the Sabbath law more than once. He healed on the Sabbath. His disciples were plucking grain because they were hungry and Jesus doesn't disregard the Sabbath law but says uh, the law, the Sabbath was made for humans that that it's based on our human needs last Sunday in adult faith formation at Palmasia Allison Kelly led us in a study of the Discipline of Sabbath and part of What she emphasized was It's not a hair shirt experience The Sabbath Is <clears throat> intended To lift us up To uh, invite us to uh, A time of reflection <clears throat> Therefore for me Sarah In Jesus' being lifted up In his death, resurrection We are enabled to see ourselves As we are and to be transformed, which is a lifelong journey. Um, And again, I am captured by the journey of Nicodemus and by the end of John, there's still a mystery about exactly where he was uh, in his relationship. There's no overt declaration. There are behaviors, however and I think he was transformed. Thank you for the questions.
2: Carlos, what about you? No. Nope. Don, you want anything?
0: I think there's just to go back to you were talking about get, getting off book. I think there's an I think if we work at it, there'll be an analogy analogy for everybody. So for for dancers, for non-dancers, it may be too distant. So Sarah, you brought in the work of the the actor. To get off book is the beginning, and and it is hard to get off book. It is hard. It is hard to learn the waltz. It is hard, and that's just the beginning. And so I would view the Nicodemus story as the beginning because he's worked hard. I think I think he's quite prepared to have this discussion. And he's there with the turning points. And if he's not, he goes, tell me, talk, to, explain this to me. This, this is counterintuitive to me, counterintuitive to me. So I, I think, you know, it's not just dancing and it's not just being off book. I think we should come up, maybe a class could come up with what of 10 other examples where the discipline, the readiness to do these things is there, where you can freestyle, where you can go deeper, where whatever it might be. So I just wanted to acknowledge that one really works for me, the idea of getting off book because it is so hard. And in my life, the experience of being off book and beginning the work, where you actually have the person you're working with or the group you're working with in a performance saying, we really saw each other. Like, you know, it's something something else is happening. Uh, this is something that's transcending the book at that point. It's hard work. There's something here for everybody. So I've got, you know, we got dance, and we've got acting, and there's a hundred other things in life. Uh, so Just a few notes on this cross. I I think uh, since you brought in Transfiguration and we're looking at the turning points in this discussion, I think the crosses are hidden everywhere, and the crosses are hidden in plain sight. And all all over where I'm sitting today, as I call into the lectionary podcast, I have got notes and scraps of paper everywhere. And because we've all been doing this for so many cycles, hundreds and hundreds of, of podcasts, I'm coming across notes, Sarah, everywhere. Pieces of paper. They're stuck in books. They're everywhere. I mean, it's a mess, is it? I, but I know what they are. That's that's lectionary. That's gospel. It's gospel. It's me trying, working, trying, like trying, working, going deeper and deeper. And so there's pieces of the cross everywhere. If I choose them. There's so much of it now. I uh I, I can't get away from that. And I remember when uh, John Debovois uh, preached on this in March of twenty twelve. And he started by in this particular church, and I would ask anybody that's going into any sanctuary anyways, can you find the crosses in the in the room? Can you find the crosses in the sanctuary? And there's a lot of architecturally expressed records. they're everywhere. They're everywhere. And so I was reminded of that when we looked at this, and which takes us back to the Numbers passage, which, and I'm paraphrasing, is they looked at the bronze serpent and they lived. They looked. They saw it. Right there in plain sight. And this is in plain sight. Jesus has already, I think it's his first reference to his death or re- first reference to the cross in the book of God. He, he lays it there. He sets it there for, uh, for, for everybody to, to consider even today. So uh, I think the cross is everywhere. Back to Numbers, they looked at the bronze serpent, and they were healed. Now, Nicodemus had practiced, right? He'd done the first bit of work. He was going off. Jesus didn't have to go, let me tell you about Numbers. Nicodemus is there. He is prepared now to engage in that conversation, which is going to go forward in time. Nicodemus is there when Jesus loses his liberty. You, Nicodemus is there on Jew, you that day when he's executed. So uh he's also being prepared. So the, the scattered crosses are preparing us for those things. And to paraphrase uh another person who's dear to many of us, Bill Wallace, who's no longer with us anymore, who taught the lectionary class at Palmacia uh, Church, who was the dean of the chapel for many years, back in 09. And I'm paraphrasing him, but this is written right there in the same passage, another another little cross hidden right there in my notepad on that, on that Bible, is he said, the cure of the snake is the snake. The cure for human life is one man's life. The cure for death is death. Nothing else will do. Reminder, 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 reminder. The crosses are everywhere. That's what I've got, Sarah. Um,
2: I would commend to you the song by David Crowder called Jesus is the Remedy. Or it's called The Remedy, I think. Um, for those of you that uh, are looking for ways of bringing music into this story, um, I wrote down that the serpent being lifted up in the wilderness is like a vaccine, and the cross is also like a vaccine for us. Um, I'm thinking about modern medicine and having a little bit of a a disease inserted into your arm and letting your body understand that disease and being able to fight it. Um, so I see that back, that is a vaccine for us. Um, a sign of promise, a sign of hope, a sign of healing, a sign of commitment, a sign of purpose. I think all these things kind of come together in this moment with the idea of Jesus being lifted up. And uh, you know, in, and I remember being lifted up and put on the shoulders of my father, and walking around. And my line of sight was so much higher. Of course, that made it easier for my parents to see where I was too. So I was a bit of a, um, a look at that shiny thing, bolt. And I'm sure that was their way of making sure they didn't lose me in a crowd. But um, that idea of being something easy to see. My father was six foot four. So he was easy for me to see from a distance. Um, He was the the red-haired, gingered person in my family that I take after. So for me, it was easy to see things that were lifted up. Um, And I think it's important that we, on occasion, stop and reorient ourselves to our lighthouses, to our points of reference, our directional... Um, areas so that we remember where we are in relationship to those things. Um, I think that's the other bit of of magic that's hiding in this idea is that we need to make sure we stay in tune with those points of light or points of contact, and that we don't stray too far from them in our own efforts to um, turn over rocks for shiny things. Um, so, that, that was also valuable to me is that, that that's a point of reference that I need to stay close to. And that's all I got for you this week. Sorry. Thank you. Four to nine questions coming next time.
0: Well, wonderful. This was a great dance today. And I felt a little more like I could work off books to you, Sarah. And for folks listening, Again, Palmacia Presbyterian Church is at 3501 West San Jose. That's in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to org. That's P A L M A C E I A dot org. We commend that site to for other discussions, differences of opinion, sermons, outstanding music, the opportunity to take communion, all kinds of reflections. And, uh, and this is. Uh, This podcast is meant to be something that we can offer around uh, for folks as we travel. And I I, I just on behalf of the whole team, we thank you for your comments and your engagements and your questions as we go about our week. Because this, at least for me, folks, this this lives on every day because we're all having the same conversations, especially those of us on Lectionary, and come up over and over again. And you're always welcome, and we'll see you next time.